1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jason Hartman. Uh, he is an expert in real estate and real estate investing. Uh, his website is jasonhartman.com. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hey, Jordan. Thank you. So, How's for doing? people that may may not be familiar with you, just kind of briefly tell them your story and how you got started in real estate, and and uh, you know what you offer to people wanting to invest in real estate these days.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been in the real estate business for many, many years, and uh, I started uh, when I was nineteen in my first year of college. I love real estate, uh, particularly income producing real estate. I think income property is the most historically proven asset class in the world. And I just love it, and you know, here to talk about it, maybe here to talk about what Trump means, wherever you want to take the conversation.
2: Sure. So let's just talk about the advantage of income property uh, over other forms of investment: bonds, uh, real estate investment trusts, master limited partnerships, kind of uh, bond surrogates. What What is the advantage of having income property compared to those kind
3: of things? Well, the first thing is that income property can, and I mean this, this may sound crazy to people not familiar with it. But because it's a multidimensional asset class, in other words, meaning that you earn your return on your investment from multiple areas, from cash flow, from appreciation, from tax benefits, uh, from leverage, uh, so it's multidimensional. And you can realistically earn on on the right investment properties anywhere between 20 and say 35 percent annually. That may sound crazy. I mean, to to someone who's thinking, oh, S&P index fund beats real estate. Well, it does when you just look at purely appreciation. But that would only be one dimension of a multi-dimensional asset class. So that's one huge advantage. And I'm happy to dive in deeper on any of these items. The other one, Jordan, is that you have control. I have something I talk about called the Ten Commandments of Successful Investing, and Commandment number three is Thou shalt maintain control. And um, and when you relinquish control of your money to somebody else, you leave yourself susceptible to three major problems. Number one, you might be investing with a crook. You know, we certainly know about uh, WorldCom, <laughs> you know, uh, Madoff, uh, all all of the rest. I mean, there's lots of scandals. There's certainly scandals in in the real estate business as well as Wall Street. But um, those are in pooled money assets, not in direct ownership. In direct ownership, it's relatively hard to get scammed. And if you do get scammed, uh, it's usually pretty minor. Um, So that's the first problem. You might be investing with a crook. The second problem, you might be investing with an idiot. And because of their dishonesty or incompetence, you could lose money. The third problem is, assuming they're honest and competent, they take a large management fee off the top for managing the deal. So I believe in being a direct investor. Uh, I've, I've done almost everything in the investment world with my own money. And uh, the direct investment uh, where, where I'm in control is what I like the best. So
2: who is it appropriate for to be a direct investor in real estate as opposed to an indirect investor in a REIT or some kind of thing where it is managed, even though you're willing to pay a fee? Uh, direct ownership of real estate for income is not for everybody. Who is appropriate for and who is not appropriate for?
3: Yeah, that you know that's a great question Jordan and um one of the things that comes with direct ownership is responsibility. So you do have to be involved, but that's what my company does, jasonhartman.com. Basically our whole our whole business is built on making it easier to be a direct investor, and you know, uh, 13 years ago when I got into this business, there there really was no uh, option for this type of thing. You know, you you always had to really do it yourself, go find the properties, uh, deal with realtors that weren't familiar with the investment side of the business. Um, you know, you couldn't invest nationwide, and that's what my firm helps people do, is is build diversified nationwide portfolios. So, and, and, and we offer software and support and ongoing um, uh, oversight of the investment with our clients. So we make that a lot easier. But in the traditional sense, most of your listeners might be familiar with. Um, it, it can be difficult. You know, we've all heard horror stories about um, many investments, including real estate, and you know, bad tenants and um, uh, repairs that need to be made, and so forth. Um, and uh, and that can certainly happen if you're not doing it right and you don't have the right support system and the right team. So maybe so- talk a
2: little bit about what you call your complete solution for real estate investors. What is entailed in that? And for somebody who doesn't want to be involved directly in ownership or at least managing things, things, how would that complete solution help people?
3: Well, the complete solution is, is basically, I'll, I'll distill it down just in the interest of time, to a three-step thing. Basically, the three primary things my company offers, we offer education for free uh, so uh, you've been on my podcast, and and um, uh, we have many guests talking about many investment issues and how to be a better investor. And so we offer free education. Uh, we offer actual properties. So uh, rather than hearing from, you know, those, those real estate gurus out there that tell you how to do it but don't offer the actual vehicle to do it with, uh, you know, it's like, good luck. Go out and find, you know, these great deals yourself. We offer the properties. And, uh, and we do that through affiliates that we have uh, big, uh, long-term relationships with. So uh, they tend to treat our clients very well because we give them a huge volume of business. And then we offer ongoing support and software that helps people evaluate, track, and manage their investments. Uh, we offer referrals to property management companies. Um, again, we have that same Type of leverage with those property management companies as we do with the providers of the properties, because we sort of aggregate all of our clients' volume into one place, and so they have uh, they have buying power and and I'll call it service power, where they they get really good service. Hopefully, not always. There are problems here and there uh, from these these different service providers, uh, so that they can make their investing experience a lot easier.
2: So again, we're back to who is this appropriate for? What would be a minimum dollar amount that one would need to get started, assuming you have decent credit and are going to be responsible, as you say? Those seem to be two of the basic criteria. What, what do you yeah. need to get started in this?
3: Absolutely. A minimum about twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars to buy one property. And then uh, if you want to buy ten, uh, just multiply that and make it two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. We have clients that that you know, are just buying their first property. And we have clients that have purchased their 70th property. Uh, So so we've got a wide spectrum of clients with different uh, levels of uh, of investment capital and experience.
2: So talk about your business model. If you're giving the education away for free, uh, what kind of fees do you charge along the way? Because this this is obviously a for-profit business.
3: Yes, this is hopefully not a nonprofit. Yeah, so basically what we do is we don't charge the client anything. Uh, We get a referral fee uh, when we refer the business to our local market specialist in the market that we've vetted and recommended to the uh, the party that we vetted and recommended, and um, and they pay us a referral fee on that business. So the only way we make money is basically as a real estate company, not a company selling uh, a forty thousand dollar educational package or anything like that. Uh, we pretty much give all that away uh, just to earn the right. To sell our clients' properties, and and for example, this year uh, I don't have the final count yet, but we it looks like we we are right around uh, five six hundred transactions. I think we're close to six hundred transactions uh, so far, and um, uh, you know we've got a lot of clients that are uh, that are buying those properties. That's for sure.
2: So, what kind of vetting do you do? I'm sure there's lots of real estate brokers that would love to have you sell their properties. What kind of vetting do you do? To make sure that the property being offered is a good one from an income investor's point of view,
3: yeah, great question. So so basically, now, since I've you know been doing it so long, uh, it's it's all people i I know already. You know, we pretty much know everybody in the business. This is not we're not referring our clients to traditional real estate brokers. These are very, It's a very cottage industry of a a kind of a niche type of company uh, that is vertically integrated that provides acquisition of properties, uh, rehab of properties to make them rent-ready. All of our properties are turnkey properties uh, where our clients are buying rent-ready properties or pre-rented properties in many cases that already have tenants in them and um, and then they offer ongoing support and management. so it it's it's not like they're your traditional real estate brokers. They actually own the properties, they acquire them, they rehab them. They many times rent them or at least make them rent ready and then offer ongoing management and support of the properties. And and we really depend on repeat business because our clients are buying very inexpensive properties. Um, You know, for, for many years, I was in the traditional real estate business in Irvine and Newport Beach, California. And we would sell very expensive, multi-million-dollar properties and earn, earn big commissions on those. But these are just very little, uh, in, inexpensive bread and butter properties that are maybe a hundred thousand dollars. And uh, and so we really depend on our clients investing again and again. And uh, most of the time, they do. We've uh, you know we've had many clients that have been with us for many many years.
2: So the idea is, it's better and safer to Invest in smaller, lower priced properties, maybe in the middle of the country, compared to the high priced ones on, on the coast, as, as an investor point of view. Is that right?
3: Well, it, you know, it, it, if you're an investor, yes. Uh, some people are actually speculators and gamblers, but they call themselves investors. So that's a great question because, uh, our basic criteria as just a rule of thumb, Jordan, is that you should be getting 1% of the value of that property per month in rental income. So, for example, if you were investing in, uh, say, you know, the more expensive areas in New York or Boston or uh, California or Oregon or Washington State, Uh, or South Florida, these areas don't make any sense if you're an investor. Uh, Our our strategy is a very conservative yield-oriented cash flow strategy. It's kind of like a a dividend-paying stock that's very solid versus that high-flying stock that you're hoping to have it double in value. You know, we're investing for cash flow, for dividends, for yield, um, and, and so we want our properties to rent for 1%. So here's an example for you. Uh, you know, I, I spent most of my life in, in Southern California, uh, where I lived uh, the vast majority of my life. And the typical deal there is that you might buy a $500,000 property that would rent for maybe $2,300 per month. Uh, versus it, the type of properties we recommend in, in states like uh, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, Indiana, uh, some parts of Illinois, actually, uh, and 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 um, uh, Alabama and Arkansas. You know, these places, the properties, they're $100,000, and they rent for uh, $1,000 per month. So you could either buy one property for $500,000, not be diversified, Or you could buy five properties and be in, say, two different cities so you have some geographical diversification. And instead of getting $2,300 a month in rent from just one tenant who might not pay you because the other thing I didn't mention is that uh, the higher price markets are typically those those tenant-friendly markets, and we like the landlord-friendly markets. We like the, the the markets that are friendly to our cause as landlords. Where if you yes. have a problem tenant, you got to evict them. You know, in New York City or California. I mean, you know, th- those tenants, it's very hard to get them out. You know, they look at the landlord, as the, the big evil landlord, you know, and, and versus uh, the uh, the struggling investor, um, and and so. Uh, In in terms of this, you can be diversified, you can have better cash flow, and just invest for yield, not capital gains. If the appreciation comes, hey, great, it's icing on the cake, but it's not something you can rely on. It's too hard to predict.
2: Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jason Hartman. Uh, He is a real estate investment expert. Uh, His website is com.
0: The path to leadership excellence begins
1: here. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jason Hartman, he is an expert in real estate investing. You can find out more about him and everything he offers at jasonhartman.com. Welcome back to the show, Jason. Thanks, Jordan. So let's take a look at the broader market right now. Um, h- housing in general has been doing quite well. Uh, prices are up. Uh, there's a shortage of inventory in lots of places. How is overall uh, the rental market doing these, wells,
3: these days? Is there rent? the rental market is very strong but here's what happens in every cycle and uh let me just preface this by explaining there are basically three different types of real estate markets around the world around the country uh whatever this applies everywhere on the planet linear markets cyclical markets and hybrid markets and the market as we were talking before your commercial break we were talking about some of these highly appreciating markets that are, you know, when they appreciate, but they sometimes depreciate, and they're they're very bad, too, when they go down. And those are the cyclical markets, the high flyers, the ones that get all the publicity uh, and don't have very good cash flow, and they have very high risk. We like the linear markets uh, that are very stable, conservative. They rent, the properties rent for about 1% of the value. And then there are hybrid markets that are kind of in between the two, as the name would imply. And uh, the rental market is very strong. However, I will tell you that what happens in every cycle is that prices appreciate, even in the linear markets, that we like and recommend, and the rents lag behind prices. That's always the way the cycle goes. It's always led by price appreciation, and then rents slowly follow. And so, for example, if, uh, you know, for for our clients that purchased properties from us back in, say, uh, 2010, 2012, you know, the the rent-to-value ratios they could get at that time on good quality properties were 1.2 to 1.4, even a little better sometimes, percent per month, okay? 1.2 to 1.4 percent per month. Now, it's... A, a bit of a struggle to get that 1% per month that is sort of our target range. Um, and that's not because rents have softened, rents have strengthened. The rental market is very strong, but the prices have strengthened more than the rents. So, so the why rents the are prices slow?
2: You know, why do the prices move ahead faster than rents? You think rents would be relatively easy to catch up to where the prices are.
3: Yeah, you know, there's there's quite a few theories about that. Uh, number one, when it comes to investing in single-family homes, the market is very fragmented and very imperfect. And a lot of uh, mom and pop type landlords, individual landlords that are that are our clients, they're cautious and and sometimes scared to really raise the rent aggressively, um, and because they've got a good tenant, they're getting paid every month, and and you know, we we teach uh, people to you know, and it depends on the market whether you can do this or not, but the target rent increase uh, of about 4% annually, okay, which means if you're renting for $1,000, you raise the rent 40 bucks a year, okay, And, um, and $40 a year usually is not enough to cause anybody to move, some landlords won't do that. You know, They might raise it $25 or nothing at all. And that's one reason. The other reason is typically these, these properties are leased on one-year leases. And so there, there's this lag time where things don't happen and react instantly. It's certainly nothing like the stock market. The real estate market, uh, up and down, moves very slowly. And, and that's what makes it such a, a stable asset class.
2: I see. Um, So overall, you're saying the rental market's been pretty strong. Um, Now We have have a a new situation here where we have uh, President-elect Trump to become president in January. And we've had quite sharply rising interest rates uh, over pretty short. The long-term Treasury has gone from one and a half to two and a half. And mortgage rates have gone up with it. So uh, how have those, uh, the Trump and the rising interest rates, affected the real estate market?
3: You know, I just got back from a nine day trip where I attended three conferences and I spoke at all of them and I spoke with a lot of other experts about what they think uh, about Trump on my podcast, I've been interviewing a lot of people talking about, you know, the, the Trump wild card, you know, nobody knows exactly what to expect from him because we all know how Trump is, right. Um, but, but also the fact that he's not an insider, you know, he's, he's, he's the first real outsider and he's also the first real estate president we've ever had. Right. Uh, right. And, and I, and I think Jordan, you know, I, I seem to be the only one talking about the fact that Trump is the first real estate president. So, uh, the the feeling seems to be, and it's it's certainly my feeling, uh, very bullish on Trump and and what it means for real estate. Um, I think Trump is, uh, you know, love him, hate him, for better or worse. Um, he he's a he's a protectionist. He wants to institute tariffs, possibly, and that will be inflationary. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we teach people how to make money and get a good return on their investment, regardless of the economic scenarios, by adjusting their strategy, whether it be inflation, deflation, or stagnation, the three basic maladies. Uh, inflation is the home run. That's our favorite. We love inflation as real estate investors for, for several reasons. And I think Trump's inflationary. Now, I do want to kind of um, uh, tamp that down a bit by saying that uh, the other part of that is the business cycle. So, you know, and I'm sure you talk about this a lot with with other guests on your show, but you know, we are, depending on how you count, five to seven years into a recovery. And that usually means there's some fear of recession, right? And then you mentioned rising rates like you just did. Uh, and and so there's some fear of that. But I, I think that um, th- there's a bit of a flaw in, in that, and I, I want to say this cautiously, uh, but that is that we came from such a low point uh, that I, I don't know that Our recovery has really been going on that long because when you look at the baseline of the Great Recession, it was a pretty low point—the lowest point in seven decades since the Great Depression—and so, um, you know, I I would almost kind of argue that that recovery hasn't been going on that long, and uh, whether Trump, with his Seemingly Keynesian uh, idea of, you know, trillion dollar infrastructure projects and and cutting tax taxes and kind of having this sort of supply side mentality at the same time. I think he's going to juice the economy, <laughs> and I think it's going to it's going to go longer. I also think with protectionism, of course, it's going to bring jobs back to America. Uh, you don't need Bernie Sanders to say there should be a fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage if you control the borders and uh, and you you tighten up the trade. And I'm not saying philosophically I agree with all this. I'm just saying I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, what, so what are um, some of the
2: specific things? that Trump could do, as you say, as a real estate person, uh, what are some specific things he could do to improve the real estate market, even though it's already quite strong? Okay,
3: uh, so I, if- I'm glad you asked. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because there's one more thing that's very specific that Trump has talked about, and I think he will have a huge impact on this. And it's kind of a behind-the-scenes thing that you know people outside of the business don't know about, but it's called the Dodd-Frank Act. And this is this idiotic piece of legislation uh, that really had all these unintended consequences. It was meant to protect consumers and uh, make sure that we don't have another mortgage meltdown and so forth. and and you know, that's all well and good. Um, and and you know, to stop predatory lending and all of these things we we heard about uh, as the economic crisis and the Great recession unfolded uh, a few years back. And Dodd-Frank is so flawed in so many ways. it's 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 like a twenty two hundred page bill that it's very hard to understand. There are conflicting elements of it. And um, Trump uh, wants to repeal Dodd-frank, uh, or at least uh, soften it. And if he does that, which which he's going to do something about it, I don't know how far he will get. Maybe it'll be a complete repeal. Maybe it'll be a softening of it and uh, and a lessening of its impact. But if he does that, a lot more money will be available for financing. Financing of real estate is pretty darn tight, uh, even though rates are historically low. Uh, it's it's pretty hard to get financing for properties, and if if Trump. Uh, repeals or uh, softens Dodd-Frank, money will flow, flow, flow into the real estate market. And if it does, what does that mean? It means appreciation. It means uh, a larger supply of dollars chasing a limited supply of properties, and boy, you're going to see prices go up. And, and I don't think that'll be as significant in the high-end markets, in the cyclical markets. Okay, if If you're thinking I'm saying New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco, I'm not really looking for it there. I think the linear markets that haven't seen huge increases yet I think a lot of it will will hit there, and and that'll be great for our investors.
2: So specifically, what are some of the things that might be softened in Dodd Frank that would allow it make it easier? Because you're right, it is very hard for people to get mortgages today. Maybe lowering the down payment from twenty percent or lowering credit scores. What are some specific things that might be easing to make it easier for people to get mortgages?
3: Yeah, good question. You know, it's it's funny. It is in many ways easier to get financing uh, on a line of credit uh, or a business uh, than it is on a real estate loan because Dodd-Frank specifically addresses mortgages. If you call it a mortgage, if it's secured by real estate, oh man, the, the, the appraisal uh, requirements, the uh, credit requirements, you know, someone can walk into a bank and have a very good FICO score. And by the way, uh, this is something interesting for your, you and your listeners, maybe. Uh, there are many types of FICO scores. A lot of people don't know that. There are many different FICO scoring models. And Dodd-Frank required, um, I believe, is the, these the strictest form of FICO scoring, which I believe is called FICO-8, uh, or it might be FICO-4. Uh, don't quote me on that one, but basically, what this means is, is you could look at you could pull your credit score, and think that your credit score is 720, and it is. It really is 720, which is a a very good FICO score. But because of specific things in your credit history, uh, whether they be late payments or a foreclosure a long time ago, we saw millions of people do strategic defaults uh, and just intentionally walk away from their properties during the Great Recession, or intentionally become late. In order to negotiate loan modifications or short sales, because that's what their lender told them they had to do if they wanted a uh, to get a break, right? And so Dodd Frank um, really it 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 make I think I think it makes a lot of the underwriting of these these mortgage loans very illogical. Um, people have been uh, you know in in good graces for several years on their credit reports, and still. Uh, they can't get a mortgage loan, at least a good quality mortgage loan, but they can get a great line of credit or, you know, they can buy an expensive automobile and those things are much more risky than real estate. We all know this, right? Real estate is a secured loan secured by a very tangible, immovable asset that generally doesn't depreciate, or at least not very much. So it's illogical. It's just dumb. You know, the government, you know, well-intended, unintended, whatever—you know—they just—they don't know business. You know, Barney Frank did not understand banking. Okay, he—he's not a banker, and yeah. um—you uh, know—you you should leave it to the people that that get it to to do these things, <laughs> not that—not these uh, politicians in their ivory tower. Well, that's that's good potential news. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the
2: Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jason Hartman. He's an expert on real estate investing. You can find out more about him at his website, which is jasonhartman.com. We'll be back after this.
1: It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jason Hartman, an expert in real estate investing. Welcome back to the show, Jason. Thanks, Jordan. So I just want to go about some of the specific things that you're offering. One of them is what's called the Venture Alliance. So just tell us what that is and who that might be appropriate for.
3: Yeah, one of the things I I did about a year and a half ago is I really wanted to sort of segment out of of our very large client base Uh, the clients that had more capital with which to invest and wanted to do more creative things and wanted to sort of take things to the next level. So I formed a small mastermind group where we do uh, four uh, weekend uh, trips every year, we uh, try to make uh, make them when we can, sort of once in a lifetime, unique experiences. Uh, we went to Newport, Rhode Island, uh, and looked at all the mansions, and we went to Dubai, and uh, you know ha- we have some great speakers come in and and speak to us, uh, you know, in a in a very intimate setting uh, with, uh, with a small group. And so, uh, that's, that's what the Venture Alliance is. And, um, we haven't done it yet, but we are certainly talking about, um, uh, going in on some larger investments together. Um, you know, one of the things that I said at the beginning of our, our talk today is I talked about commandment number three and maintaining control. Well, I think that, um, when you invest with people, you know, like, and trust, uh, you know that is one way to access bigger transactions that you you couldn't do yourself, uh, and um, and be able to do big things without pooling your money with strangers on Wall Street, for example.
2: So if you pool your money that way, you would be the one managing it. Or how would that work if you had bigger investors pooling their money?
3: Well, it could work uh, any way you want as long as it's compliant with our friends at the SEC. The Scoundrels Encouragement Commission. (laughs) (laughs) Very
2: good. And and something else you offer is what you call a private investment market tour. What what is that and how does that help people invest in real estate?
3: Yeah, so we, since we invest in several markets all over the country, um, uh, most of our clients don't live in the markets that are the best for investing. Uh, most of our clients live in places like New York, uh, Boston, you know, Connecticut, uh, all all of the South Florida, uh, the West Coast, all of these expensive areas that just don't make any sense for investing. So we offer property tours where we we take groups of people to markets to actually look at properties and meet our teams of providers. Uh, and then I also do that privately occasionally as well. If someone has a certain market they want me to come out and evaluate, we'll you know, we'll agree on the market and I'll meet them there and I'll tour them around uh, personally.
2: You also talk about uh, private equity getting into real estate. Is that a good, I mean, a lot of these large private equity firms have bought up entire neighborhoods, if not cities, of private homes. Is that pushing up prices unrealistically high?
3: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. It, It certainly was doing that. They don't, uh, they're not quite on the acquisition binge that they were on a, you know, several years ago, but for a while there, they were really distorting the markets because uh, they would be at the foreclosure auctions with just mountains of Wall Street cash, uh, whether they be a hedge fund or private equity group. And I mean, it was it was. Illogical, you know they would they would overpay for properties. In fact, we had a couple of them as our clients. Uh, we don't do much with the institutional world. Uh, most of our investors are regular individuals, uh, like uh, the ones that are probably listening. Uh, but but we had a couple of these funds buying from us, and basically they just sort of buy everything. <laughs> you know, yeah. they had so much cash to deploy, they they really did not agonize over overpaying for properties sometimes. I and mean, I mean, we we saw it at the foreclosure auctions. It was ridiculous. You know, our, our providers were just, um, uh, you know, because we depend on our different local market specialists to, to get properties uh, at the time from those foreclosure auctions. And, and they were just pushed out, and they made inventory very scarce, and, and they were distorting the market and overvaluing it. That has definitely subsided now, and they've gone more into management mode. Uh, so it's, it's not what it was in the past. And um, my prediction, Jordan, a long time ago was that these institutional investors will really not be able to tolerate this business very well. And here's why, Uh, one of the things that frustrates investors from time to time is how fragmented the real estate business is. You know, every property manager, every local market specialist from which you, you might acquire the properties in the first place they do things a little differently, you know, with the market in Memphis and the way people do business in Memphis is different than the way they do it in Atlanta or Indianapolis or uh, Birmingham or Montgomery or Huntsville, you know, or uh, some of the Chicagoland areas we do business in. And so, you know, this is frustrating for people. And these big institutional investors with mountains of cash are used to looking at a due diligence report from, uh, you know, PIMCO bond fund or, or any, you know, any source basically, and, um, you know, deploying uh, many, many millions of dollars, maybe tens and tens or hundreds of millions of dollars with, uh, you know, a couple signatures and a couple mouse clicks, okay? And and you can't do that in real estate. It's, it's fragmented. It's a little messy. Um, but I I say to our investors, embrace the fragmentation, because that's what largely, by and large, leaves the opportunity for us, the small investors, the,
2: the it real It creates people. market opportunity. You're saying?
3: Really. Yeah, yeah, it does. Because if it was a, a really efficient market, like the the you know the way uh, the New York Stock Exchange works, which is a very efficient market. Um, you know Goldman Sachs would be here uh, buying everything up, you know, but they're they're not because uh, it's messy and and it's 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 cumbersome, you know it's it's great for the investor listening who wants to build a portfolio of ten or twenty houses on which to retire. Uh, but for a big institutional investor, you know, that's hard for them. They they don't like that that much. Uh, you know, it, it, I mean, they're in it. Look, they're here. They're investing. You know, some of them own thousands of homes. But uh, when you look at that in comparison with the overall market, because there, there are uh, about 15 million single-family homes owned by small investors that own less than four units total, okay, they're a drop in the bucket. I mean, the institutions are there. They're a factor, but it's not that big.
2: The other area you hear a lot about today is foreign investors, particularly Chinese investors, trying to get their money out of their countries buying U.S. Uh, high-quality real estate, both individual homes and commercial real estate. Is that a major factor in the markets you're looking at?
3: Um, you know, it is a big factor, but by and large, I, and this, have, all, all of these things are generalizations, obviously. But... The um, the the Chinese investors like they they tend to prefer the high flying speculative stuff on the Pacific Rim. Uh, you know, I, I mean, when I lived in Southern California, uh, there was so, I saw so much Chinese money coming into places like Newport Beach and Irvine. Um, it, it was it was just insane, and it's still there. It's a huge factor uh, in in the overall market um you know are they buying a bunch of little rental properties yes yeah, some of them are uh but um again uh, the wealthy chinese have have kind of the same problem uh, to a lesser degree that the institutional buyers do they have a massive amount of capital to de- capital to deploy and if if they can buy uh, you know a couple um, multi-million dollar condos in Manhattan or Southern California you know some detached homes in in Newport Beach California um, they 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 like that stuff so I you know I think they're crazy uh, that's a very risky investment I like the conservative stuff maybe I'm just getting old and boring but I like yield <laughs> you know I I like just getting my 20 thirty percent every year and I'm I'm a happy man <laughs> you know one what, what of the basic
2: things people look for in real estate is what's called the capitalization rate, or the cap rate. Maybe yeah. just explain what that is and what kind of a cap rate is appropriate to buy at in, in this uh, market, in the, in the markets you're looking at, the kind of middle of the market, uh, not as yeah. exciting markets.
3: Yeah, great question. So one of the things we're seeing nationwide in all three types of markets, linear, cyclical, and hybrid markets, is something we call cap rate compression. And the reason you're having that is because it's like we were talking about before. The prices have gone up a lot, but the rents are only following slowly. So we see these cap rates going down. Now, the cap rate or capitalization rate is a measure of the property's performance, excluding two very important factors. And this is why we don't particularly like cap rate as a metric. We like looking at cash on cash return better. Uh, or overall return on investment. But, But cap rate excludes appreciation, and it also excludes leverage, financing on the properties. And those are two fantastic factors um it, cap rate is largely used in the commercial real estate business because uh, oddly those properties don't appreciate that well <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 the reason they generally of course these are huge generalizations I'm making so you know uh, if, if you're a commercial real estate person out there please don't Send me an email, ranting at me. Okay, um, but but the reason commercial properties uh, don't is because those are yield-oriented investments too. You know, if if you buy an office building, all of those leases of all of those tenants in that office building are indexed usually to the consumer price index, the CPI. And that is an an understated number, in in my opinion, and many people's opinion, uh, where they're understating inflation, right? And so if your uh, rents only go up at uh, 1.8% or 2% annually, well, that dictates the value of your property. And it's not going to go up that fast. In residential real estate, it's illogical. It's fragmented. And that's where the opportunity is because of the imperfections in the markets. And so, uh, you know, uh, a a traditional home buyer that wants to buy a single family home in which to live, they're not looking at the cap rate. They're not logical. They're, they just like, they want this nice home and that's it, (laughs) you know, and and they're comparing it. Yeah, there's an emotional aspect and um, that that's where the opportunity is. So, so. That's what cap rate is. You look at the income of the property versus the purchase price, and you get your cap rate. Um, but again, it excludes leverage, the value of financing, because if you only put 20% down on that property, you've got a four to one leverage ratio. You, you're you're getting appreciation on on 100% of the asset value, but you've only got 20% in the deal. That's a wonderful thing.
2: It really adds up, indeed. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jason Hartman. Uh, His website is jasonhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N.com. All kinds of resources to help you uh, investing in real estate. We'll be back after this.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jason Hartman, expert in real estate investing. His website is jasonhartman.com. Welcome back to the show again, Jason. Thanks, Jordan. So say what happens that you you, were, you thought might happen, which is the loosening of Dodd-Frank, making it easier for people to get into real estate and lowering credit criteria to some extent. Of course, the, the people against that would say that's what got us into the trouble in the first place, is making too much wild speculation and made it too easy for people to get into trouble, and we'd start a whole nother cycle that would cause an, an even bigger bust next time. How do you respond to those people?
3: I would say those people are right. It's a matter of degree. You know, uh, we went, you know, it's a pendulum. Look at the, the political pendulum swings all the time. The social pendulum swings, the, the skirts get longer, the skirts get shorter. You know You know what I mean when I say that, right? Uh, everything in society swings back and forth, right? This is just the way of the world and, uh, and the way of history. And so in 2004, the it, the pendulum swung too far. We got too liberal. We got stupid. They were making loans to anybody who could fog a mirror. Uh, I remember Jordan, and I used to I used to show these uh, screenshots of my computer email at my seminars. Where uh, countrywide home loans now defunct, obviously, and uh, and 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 their CEO should have served some time in jail, but he didn't, of course. <laughs> um, uh, and um, uh, you know, it would say one day out of bankruptcy, one day out of foreclosure, uh, FICO score five forty and above. That's a very low FICO score. You know, you can you can borrow borrow money. On a, on a mortgage with no money down. That's insane. It's crazy. But right now the pendulum has swung too far to the other direction. They have overcorrected. And they've overcorrected because of Dodd-Frank. It's it needs to get back into the middle where loans are logical, where it's not crazy, um, you know, where where things just make sense, prudent, good sense. There, there's yeah. a there there's, there's a, a a sweet spot there, and mm-hmm. we're not in it. We're being there's way too happy conservative medium, now. And we got yeah, two a,
2: now we're too tight. And happy, happy medium.
3: yeah.
2: There may be a move back. What what do you think about investing overseas? Uh, it's not as easy to control, but prices may be a lot cheaper. What do you think about doing the same tra- techniques you're talking about around the world?
3: Well, you know, I have, uh, I'm a big traveler. I was born in Europe. I've visited 80 countries, eight zero, and some of those 80 countries I've visited many times. So, you know, num- total, total trips are way beyond that. And I have looked and looked and looked. I have done property tours uh, in uh, five Eastern European countries. I have met with uh, various providers that could provide properties to our network, whether they be... Uh, you know, in, in Central America, South America, Europe, um, I, I, just all over the place. And um, the, I think the U.S. has a very special real estate market. We could—I just want you to know—we could certainly offer these foreign properties. There's nothing stopping us from doing that. We could be in that business if we want. But we find that the uh, the 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 first problem is the financing. U.S. financing, as tight as it is, is still, on a global scale, exceptionally good. It's very, very good. That's the first thing. The second thing is the ability to access data and have transparency of data. In other countries, they usually don't have a multiple listing system. Uh, there are some inklings of it, but it's nothing like it is in the U.S. The U.S. has a very strong system. Um, the records at the... At the uh, you know, the government agency that records property transactions are very opaque. Here they are not. Uh, you can find out uh, on comparison what a property might be worth. Um, they certainly don't have Zillow and Trulia, okay, like we do. Um, and, and and so property data and access to data in the U.S. is very good. It's excellent compared to really any place in the world. Um, uh, the rule of law, is very good in the U.S. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's it's pretty darn good. Um, uh, providers are almost always licensed here, and when they have that license, it's something they don't want to lose. So, uh, because that's their income, uh, and so that uh, is is an accountability factor. Um, uh, the uh, the the standards and customs are very well defined in the U.S. They aren't in foreign countries. Um, I just, uh, really am very partial to the U S. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I've, I think there's a certain romance about, uh, foreign investing and uh, it has certainly, you know, I, I've researched it extensively. I've had, uh, all of these people that do it on my shows just to hear about it, you know, whether it be Kathleen Petticord or any of the people with Agora and um, uh, you know it's interesting, I mean, you know, and i've I've been intrigued, but i but I have not done it, and I'm not that interested in doing it honestly yeah uh, the right
2: conservative nature that it goes
3: I, with. i've got I've got a pretty conservative nature. you know, there's one more thing I might comment on about that Jordan, and that is that uh, in the u s the supply chains are very mature. Uh, let me give you an example of that. You know, I've, I've been to Belize a couple of times, and a lot of Americans are, you know, buying up property in Belize, right? And, um, you, you know, it, you'd think that it would be a lot cheaper to build a house in Belize, but it's not, um, because no. they don't have mature supply chains, and they don't have mature Contracting, uh, you know, companies, um, and and you know their market is not very competitive. Uh, in the U.S., you can build a pretty good quality brand new house for seventy dollars a square foot. Where in Belize, you're going to pay one fifty, and it's not going to be as good a quality. Now it will be more handcrafted, but look, hey. That you know we have more efficient manufacturing than they do. They, yeah, they, they, you you get some craftsmanship, <laughs> but you won't get uh, efficient modern manufacturing.
2: Yes, yes. I want to go back to taxes for a minute. If uh, Trump talks about lowering tax rates, talking about collapsing seven brackets to three, potentially cutting capital gains rates uh, back to fifteen percent or even lower, uh, what impact would that have on the real estate market?
3: Well, the Simplification of the tax code—I just think will be good for everybody because it is an absolute mess. I think we'd all agree on that. Um, we've, you know, we've got to simplify the tax code. It's disgusting how complicated it is. Um, and but on the capital gains issue, that's a bit of a wild card, and I'll tell you why. Um, many people in every asset class, not just real estate, it could be stocks, businesses. Uh, you know, real estate, you know, I mean, collectibles, you know, if if it affects that, uh, and any asset class at all. If capital gains are lowered, if if we see a lower rate for capital gains, that is an incentive for people to liquidate, okay? And that may initially cause more of whatever that asset is to hit the marketplace, because uh, many reasons people hold something is because they don't want to pay the tax now in real estate you don't have to pay the tax because it's the most tax favored asset class in america and you can sell it on a 1031 tax deferred exchange and not pay taxes i've done this many times myself uh we've helped many of our clients do it over the years and and that's great but initially you could see more of these assets of any type come onto the market but overall it also increases the velocity of trading of assets, because if, if investors know, look, they're not going to be saddled with keeping an asset forever, they're inclined to buy more.
2: Yeah. So,
3: and Initially, you could see a, a bit of a, a flood, but overall, I think it'd be great. I think we should lower capital gains tax.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, in my case, there's a shortage of supply, so bringing some supply on would not be a bad thing either. In in, yeah, some markets.
3: in in every in every marketplace and it, you know whether it be stocks real estate collectibles anything yeah businesses yeah. sure so we have
2: about two minutes to go just kind of sum up the difference you could make in people's lives to learn about investing in income real estate through you compared to their existing portfolios of stocks bonds and mutual funds
3: well look you know if if you love stocks bonds and mutual funds keep on doing it if it's treating you well Uh, So you've mastered something I have never been able to figure out, (laughs) because I've certainly tried it uh, many different ways over the years. Um, And uh, I think income property is the most historically proven asset class in the world. It's multidimensional. It offers control. uh, It is basically subsidized by the government uh, in terms of financing through uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. and, um, And it has been subsidized by the government since the Great Depression. Uh, it's a very special asset class. We all know people who have made fortunes with their income properties, uh, yet we don't know too many people who have done that in the stock market unless they're on the inside. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it can be done. But again, it's just not my thing. I love income property.
2: And basically what you do is offer the services to kind of make it ready for people that, without having to be experts themselves offering the properties and the management. So you make it easier for the average person to kind of get on the game that otherwise would be difficult for them. That's what you're saying.
3: Absolutely. We're like a financial planning firm for real estate investors. We just, you know, we do a lot of the same things uh, other planners do. We just do it with what I believe is the most historically proven asset class in the world.
2: Very good. Well,
3: thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Jason Hartman. Uh, You can find out more about
2: him and all that he offers people in the real estate investing market at Jason Hartman, dot ncom Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Jason.
3: Thanks, Jordan. Happy investing to you and your listeners.
2: You too. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
1: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.